what I dive in Hope comes and stops us in our tracks Bravely we prove in our striving Trudging together each day Where there's a will, there's a way Hello everyone and welcome to Tuesday and Raw Recovery with Dion Miller. Uh, we're welcome, uh, welcome everybody. We are glad to have you on the on on our show today. We have Sean. Um, I've been getting to know Sean over the last couple of weeks, um, and um, a couple of really neat things here, guys. Number one, this is going to be the first time that Sean has sat down and actually told his story, um, and and that is it. That's a big deal. Um, it is tough to do. So good on you, Sean. Um, I'm, I, I, I feel honored to be the one to be the, <laughs> to be the first person to kind of be there for it. And I appreciate that. Um, Sean is a manager over at King supers. Um, uh, and on top of that, he is also a certified hairdresser and personal trainer. Right. And even more good news. Sean has two years of sobriety. Let's celebrate that. All right. Yeah. Great job. Fantastic. Thank so, you. Sean, welcome to the show. I am glad to have you on. Welcome. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for the invitation and taking the time. It's awesome to mm -hmm. have yeah. this opportunity. Yeah. yeah. Now, we're actually doing this on a Sunday morning. So, we appreciate, uh, you know, I appreciate everybody taking their time. Jill's hanging out with us today, too, uh, our promoter. But <laughs> let's, let's, um, let's get into your story. Um, you know, where were you born? Where did you grow up at? Uh, I'm a native of Colorado. I was born in Pueblo, Colorado, okay. uh, 1975. Wow. Um, so I just celebrated my 45th birthday in August. Okay. Uh, I just turned yeah, 50. And, uh, Good job. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Virgo's rule, yes. man. Vir we Virgo's are, rule. I don't care what anybody says. We're hard to contend with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go with that. Let's go right. with. We're hard to contend with and live yeah. with, according right, to my right. wife. So. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you again for having me. Certainly. Yeah. So uh, I I uh, come from a semi broken family, just in the sense that my parents stayed married, but they were never really in a healthy relationship. Okay. Um, we moved around a lot as a kid. I went to about five or six elementary schools, um, about three or four junior high schools, and luckily one high school. Okay. Um, so when we left Pueblo, I was in uh, the sixth grade, and we moved to Trinidad for a short time. My dad was right. in construction. All right. Um, so his job moved him around a lot around Certainly. the state. Um. We spent about eight months in Trinidad, and it was uh, not a very pleasant time in life. It was um, with a, I had broken my leg just before we moved there, so okay. I was in a cast. Mm -hmm. um, you know, growing up, I always had this sense that um, I was a little bit different than other kids. Okay. Um, I spent a lot of time alone. Right. Uh, I think that had a lot to do with the family dynamic that Certainly. my parents were always kind of at odds. I was sort of a pawn, if you will, between the two of them. Okay. Uh, the father I grew up with is not my biological dad. Okay. Um, and one of the pawnships was that he agreed to 
adopt me as his own son. Okay. If my mom would take him back after several times of being abused and kicking him out of the house. Okay. Um, so there was a lot of drug use and alcoholism and physical violence. Um, I was never really the receiver of the violence um, physically, but I yeah. definitely endured a lot of the mental and spiritual abuse. and emotional. Yeah, uh, you were you were definitely emotionally abused. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so we, uh, you know, it's um, four or five years old and grandma's coming to the house and I'm offering to sell her a dime bag on the front porch. You know, my parents sold <laughs> marijuana. And so that was kind of, Whoa. you know, the stories, the stories that were told about me as a kid. Was I, was, <laughs> I was my, my mom and dad's pusher out on the porch. You know, well, you're a, you're a Virgo. We're natural salespeople. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. When VCRs came out, um, I knew how to set them up. So I charged yeah. five bucks. I would charge five bucks to set up your VCR. All right. <laughs> well, if I needed money, I would go turn off your power while you were gone. <laughs> to reset your VCR. <laughs> so I would oh, make yeah. a little bit more money. Yeah. Heck Always yeah. an angle. Always That's an it. angle. Yeah. I made a lot of money. So, yeah. so dime bags on the porch, man. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I uh, was definitely no stranger to the, um, there were, there was a, it was a, it was a very confusing um, subject for me, you know, because they, my family, my parents and aunts and uncles and everybody always partied. So there was always a kegger. There was always pot. There was always Coke, but it always ended in this, in this, debacle you know the, okay. the the party would disperse and the abuse would turn directly between my mom and dad okay so there was a lot of confusion like the, it started out as a really fun time but it always ended really, really bad yeah you know? okay um so we moved to trinidad um in the sixth grade i was already kind of formulating the sense that like i said as a child i felt different than other boys um mm -hmm. And I started having these feelings and these um, notions about, you know, I was at the age where, where girls were supposed to be catching my attention. Yep. And, okay. um, and they were catching my attention, but it was more so because I wanted to comb their hair and I wanted to wear their dresses and uh, I wanted to play with their dolls and mm -hmm. I wanted to hang out with the girls. Um, growing up, I was always kind of a mama's boy. I yeah. stood in the kitchen all the time. I was wherever the women were, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I got a lot of, uh, flack from the men in the family. I was a sissy. I was, mm -hmm. why are you acting like a girl? Why are you yeah. behaving that way? Where's Sean? He's probably playing in the closet, dressing mm -hmm. up in the dresses. Yeah. Um, so I, I, uh, I knew from an early age that I had a long road ahead of me as far as finding out who I was and finding okay. how to be comfortable with that Yes, and how to present to other people without being ashamed of who I was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and those 70s were a hard... Time oh, on yeah. that. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, w I wasn't necessarily a tomboy growing up either. You know, I went, I remember I went to my parents once and I asked them if I could join ballet and they laughed at me and I was serious and that hurt my feelings bad. Yeah. yeah. Um, because I didn't, you know, I was, I, I didn't get it. And to this day, I, st I, I, I don't get it. It's how I felt. Yeah. And I saw other guys dancing in the ballet too. So, you know, in my mind, it was I okay. See, I don't see anything wrong. Yeah. Right. Right. 
Yeah. Yeah. The seventies were a fucked up time. I, I go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, um, have two siblings that are seven and nine years younger than me. Okay. And I'll back up a little bit before my sister was born, my mom went full term with another child Okay. and he was a stillborn. So All right. there was always this sense of like this invisible brother. Um, mm-hmm. It was definitely very important and very real to my mom because yep. she had went through the experience. Uh, my younger siblings that came after him um, kind of always paid attention or homage to the fact that he was a very real thing mm-hmm. for me for some reason it never really set as as anything that registered you know okay. I never I, I speak of siblings and I always go to I have two siblings and I have to well let me take that back I have three siblings yeah um, two of them lived um, so that was a really confusing time again I was you know maybe five or six years old. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I understood that my mom was going through this gestation period and that she was changing physically. And there was the explanations about her having a baby and I was going to have a brother and, Mm -hmm. and what that meant. Um, But then it never came to fruition. And so for me, it was just sort of like all the other make believe that I had. had Yeah. It it just kind of, it just fit the natural course of things where you're like, oh, okay, whatever. We'll say, right. I, I will believe it when I see it. When I see it, right. <laughs> yep. I'll believe which, you when I see it actually happen. Right, which kind of set a bad taste in my mouth when it did happen and I had my sister. Okay. Um, you know, I was used to being everybody's favorite. I was used to being the number one nephew, the number one grandson. I was just everybody's shooting special little star. Oh, you and along special Virgo. Came this little alien, right? Yeah. Oh boy, was I not happy about that. <laughs> um so then shortly after my mom had my brother, um, and there was always growing up that sense of um the the longing for belonging if you will and that my sister and brother shared um the same mom and dad but mm-hmm. i never knew my dad right yep. it was always kind of it was always kind of this like spoken thing that i'm the stepchild yep. i'm a half brother i'm the black sheep right mm-hmm. um so again it it lent to the fact that i was different right yeah. i was different in the sense of family belonging i was different how I related to boys. I was different because just all these things. Yep. Um, and that kind of carried on with me throughout most of my life. I've, that sense of feeling different and never really fitting into anybody's clique or group. Or um, I, I was usually a loner a lot mm. of the time. Did you did um, you kind of feel like you were the problem? Absolutely. Like in your fam- yeah. in your family relations there. Absolutely. You know, no. the sense of, like I said before, feeling like a pawn. Yeah. Um, I like there's was, always something wrong with you, right? Always something wrong. With oh, me. what is it, it now? What? It, yeah. Was, right. It was my fault that my mom endured the abuse. She did it so that I would have a dad. She did yeah. it so I would have a family. She did it so I would have. So there was always a sense of guilt and doom, you know, like I put my mom through all these things. She was yeah. um, very transparent about the um period when she was pregnant with me and how her family kind of admonished her and put her down and told her she was making a mistake and don't do this deborah sue you're going to regret it you you know you don't want to be a single mom you're going to have a bastard child you're going to 
So there was a lot of shame around yeah. my whole beginning and all of the younger years of my life. Yeah. Um, well, did she get married? Out? Did she have a baby out of marriage? I was the baby out of marriage. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And that's, yeah. and that's what it was. I mean, you're talking people from the fifties and sixties, right, I mean, thirties right, right. and forties, <laughs> we're yeah. talking boomers here. Uh, yeah. And old, I mean, and beyond, beyond boomers, <laughs> it's kind of funny. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they just had a different mindset. You did not, right. you know, that was wrong, wrong. So, right, but, right. but it was, was it your fault? You didn't ask to be born. Right. right. You know? Was it your yeah, fault that, that your mom and dad got drunk on New Year's and you're a Virgo? <laughs> they think we don't know. Whatever. Right. Yeah, that was uh, that was an interesting plot twist too. As I found out more about my biological dad, I okay. um, learned I learned that the night that my so I found out I have a brother who's exactly nine months older than me. Yeah. Um, who was being delivered on the night that I was conceived. Wow. Um, yeah. So that was a weird kind of bit of information that I really didn't need to know. Yeah, how do you, well, yeah. <laughs> and how do you process that? Right. Yeah. There, and, and there was a lot of those opportunities for me to be like, why or what? Yeah. Are you telling me this for like, how do I yeah, process this kind of information? Yeah. When parents use their children as a therapist, it goes wrong. Right. <laughs> yeah. It does. Yeah, I'm those, sorry, those man. Are... I'm sorry you went through that, man. I am. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, now that I've had some time in sobriety, it's one of the things that I really look forward to and I'm afraid of addressing. Um, okay. And in, in, in part of my recovery, I understand that that's a very real portion of my story. And, yeah. you know, drinking and the drugs were but a symptom of my disease, right? Yep. They were but a symptom of my problem. That's right. Um, and now I'm coming to the understanding that it's okay for me to to speak that truth and to be okay with knowing that it wasn't my fault. Yep. And I don't have to hide that it, it fucked me up. Good you know for I mean? you, I man. I don't Good have to you. protect my parents anymore. Yes. And for a long do. time in my life, I felt like I couldn't I couldn't respect the, the emotions and the feelings yeah. and, and everything that I was going through because it would somehow label my parents and i didn't yeah. want to label them you know? and it and it may have maybe you weren't at a point yet where you could describe that to somebody without it being um without it being a finger pointing name calling kind of thing you know right um right, right. so good on you to get to the point where um where we no longer blame other people for who we are yeah 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 Congratulations! It's been a, awesome. uh, it's been a, it's been an, an arduous task to get to where I am, and I, I, I wouldn't change it for the world because yeah. it's really instilled some truth and value to life for me. Uh -huh. You know, um, so back to the the moving around. Yeah, I finally settled down in Denver after a little blip in Trinidad, Colorado. Um, it was kind of uh one of those little towns where if you weren't born and raised there you were an outsider that's right um which lent to the feeling of never really fitting mm -hmm. in and belonging and finding yeah. my tribe um we got to denver i went to a couple junior highs uh i settled 
And finally, for the first time in um, eighth grade, found this sense of belonging. Um, girls were noticing me. I was noticing girls. Okay. I had uh, the opportunity of like girls fighting over me, which was really foreign. <laughs> that you know, girls. I was used to people fighting over me, right? But not. Yeah, they but they were, attention. but not. Yeah. <laughs> there, uh, there's a difference between somebody fighting about you and about somebody me. fighting about you so right right <laughs> good for you good for you that's yeah. gonna make you feel good absolutely it made yeah. me feel good but then in the same sense it kind of made me feel like feel... those are the wrong people i don't want them fighting yeah. over me i want john and brandon to fight <laughs> over me. <laughs> um so again around this age i was learning kind of like my own identity when it came to sexuality and when okay. it came to identifying who i was as an individual and what I was really attracted to. Sure. Um, I had a lot of talk about sexuality and promiscuity and um, how it kind of came across as this uh, weapon, right? My mom Mm. always described her relationships with men and they always seemed to come back to um, a way for her to get what she wanted, right? A way for her to find her own identity, for her to find a sense of, um, acceptance. Okay. So for me, it was kind of a tool, right? It mm-hmm. wasn't a pleasure thing. It was this very like, much like you're disconnecting the power and charging people to connect their VCR. Mm-hmm. It was a very manipulative sort of thing. And absolutely. Life. Um, and so through between my eighth and ninth grade year, there was some weird falling out between the friends that I had um, surrounded myself with. Okay. And once again, I found myself alienated. I found myself alone. Um, So I spent a lot of time throughout my high school years at home. You know, other kids were going out to the football games and they were doing sleepovers and they were doing, I don't really know because I wasn't doing Yeah, you weren't there. (laughs) But whatever teenage kids do, they were doing. And I Uh was at home with my mom. Um, One of the fondest memories that I have growing up was we always had... um, heater registers that were from the floor the vents Mm -hmm. were on the floor Mm -hmm. and we would lay with my mom with big comforters and stuff over the heater vent Mm -hmm. and that's how we like bonded right was watching scary movies and sleeping over the heater vent on the floor um so i spent a lot of time at home my sister now is getting to be a little bit older my Mm -hmm. brother was you know attached to her heels and they were very close they had each other to kind of play with and they were had neighborhood friends um because they were close in age and they were you know from the same mom and dad um and i always just kind of they were always kind of a pain in my ass you know Mm -hmm. like i I didn't want to be their friends i didn't want to have anything to do with them um and so high school was strange in the sense that i uh you know most kids like me found their their belonging or their tribe and music and in drama and theater Mm. Um, and I was already at the point where I was so tired of being called names like faggot and pussy and sissy that Mm -hmm. I didn't I didn't dare partake in those sorts of things because to me they they personified an effeminate male right they personified kind of a shame and a guilt and you know, strange boys do that. So I, I didn't want to draw. Yeah, any you didn't more want to be a part to of that. Well, that's <laughs> right. a that's a pretty legitimate fear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I 
excelled really well in school when I applied myself. Most of the time, I didn't apply myself, mm -hmm. uh, and I skated by with a pretty solid B plus average. Um, I uh, spent a lot of time in the art room. Uh, okay. That was something that there was really no stigma mm -hmm. on. As far as what kind of people liked art, everybody did art or they didn't do art, but it was mm -hmm. not really paid attention to. So it was my escape, you know, it was my place to, um, to run to during lunch period. Everybody else yeah. was doing their own thing, leaving campus. They had friends with cars. Um, I, I certainly didn't want to fit in with the only other opportunity I really had were the, the, the potheads, right? Um, yeah. I didn't, I didn't really want to fit in with the potheads because I knew what that <laughs> scene looked like at home, right? Yeah. I, I didn't. Uh, so didn't I, 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 I did not want to partake. You know, I was a very straight-laced kid. I, mm -hmm. I grew up watching my parents abuse drugs and alcohol and cigarettes were a big thing in our family. Um, and so I was one of those people that grew up like, I'm never going to be like them. Mm -hmm. I'm never going to blame my, I'm never going to blame my up bringing for the way that I turn out, I'm going to turn out better than that. I expect mm -hmm. more. I need more. I deserve more. Um, and it's so ironic that we end up mm -hmm. um, or I ended up being exactly what I saw. <laughs> right? um, so high school, my first real encounter with uh, a party. So I, I did finally join the choir my 10th grade year or okay. 10th, 10th into 11th grade. Um, and I, it was just a concert choir and then I went into like a show choir where we did dance scenes and mm -hmm. stuff. So I started finding kind of a belonging there, um, but it was a little bit more acceptable only because like the jocks were a part of this scene. So, yeah. you know, football players were in the choir um, and it was a good way for them to, to score with chicks and to like, you know, get a lot of yeah. attention. Um, so I, uh, I, I found a sense of like, I, I always felt like I was going to be this, this great musician, right? I thought I was going to be a singer and I was going to be on stage. And, but I was definitely afraid of applying myself to mm -hmm. that again, because of just being judged or whatever. Um, so I uh, was a part of the, the music group. Um, I, in my junior year had the opportunity between junior and senior year to partake in the senior party, the senior like big bash of the year okay, with the kids that were in the band and the music, music cool. groups. And I was out in, uh, I want to say Wiggins, Colorado, okay. uh, Wiggins or Watkins. Um, They're both pretty far out there. Yeah. yeah. It was like two houses were the whole town. Mm -hmm. you know? um, and it was, people had their tents set up all over the property. The parents took the keys when everybody got there and it was my first like real drinking experience. Um, mm -hmm. You know, as a kid watching with my cousins and stuff, we kind of would sneak beers and take yeah. sips and whatever, but it was never a prominent thing, you know? Okay. Um, so this is my first like real big hurrah. And All right. uh, I, I felt like I had arrived. Like I was really having fun. I tried mm -hmm. chew for the first time and I put it in my lip and <laughs> about a half an hour later, they're like, what'd you do with that chew? And I'm like, I swallowed it. Oh my gosh, you're crazy. <laughs> but I'm drinking. And I'm, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Yeah. You know? So um, I, I washed it down with the beer and I was right. fine, you know? And, um, so there were bonfires and there was a lot of uh, boys and girls hooking up and peeing in the fire. And I just really felt alive for the first time. I experienced okay. this sense of 
just letting go and letting my hair down, if you would, Mm -hmm. you know, and um, I had my little group of friends amongst the people and we, uh, there were some weird moments of like boys and girls hooking up in the tent and I somehow found myself in the mix of um, making out with a girl and then another boy came in and he was kind of on top of me in the back and it was all kind of a blur, you know, but again, I was drunk for the first time. So Uh fast forward to the next day and we're driving home and there's a bra in the back seat of the back window of the back seat. (laughs) And, you know, I've got two or three friends with me in the car and we're trying to just come up with the story of what we did (laughs) over the night, you know, to tell our parents, um, the girl that was in the tent with me, Deidre Weddington, her, was her, it was her solemn oath to lose her virginity on this night. And uh, she, I don't know, I guess did so in the backseat of our car with some other boy. And it was just lots of weird, um, undefinable moments yeah. that happened in that. So from the very beginning, um, this party scene was very... Um, kind of blackout right it was kind okay. of just like get to the point of not remembering but we yeah. had a great time yeah. <laughs> um and uh so i went through my senior year i had a girlfriend um we were kind of on again off again i was the love of her life her family adored me they accepted me as one of their own um mm-hmm. again her parents were very open and candid about their sexuality and for the okay. first time i saw this um identity around sex as being something very positive and very uh-huh. fluid and very um, acceptable and very heterosexual. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was using my art skills to draw lots of Disney cartoon drawings for my girlfriend to put up in her room. And we got to the point where we experienced um, clothes coming off and little bits of penetration with different pieces of our bodies. And it was, um, not long after we had gotten to, I don't know, is it a home run or third base, whatever it is, when you finally like do the intercourse thing. Mm-hmm. But it was really, it was really topical, right? It was really just like I stuck it in and I pulled it out. And okay. I did, I had no idea what was going on. Yeah. Um, and so a few weeks later, she was very sick and she couldn't get out of bed. And she was having fainting spells and she was throwing up a lot. And oh. There was this, right, uh-oh, uh, she thought she was pregnant. Yeah. And I'm like, but I didn't even go in all the way. Like, nothing <laughs> happened. Like, what, what are you talking about? You're pregnant? Um, and it was around this time that I was really formulating that just after this experience with a girl, it didn't feel right. It wasn't okay. what I wanted. I, again, had this um, more of an attraction towards her brother, right? Okay. I, um, I knew that girls just didn't sit right with me mm-hmm. um and it was something that i didn't dare entertain because of the um stigma around the names that i was called growing up and the way that i was treated for being a feminine and yep. hanging out with the girls all the time um so i was very confused when it came to sexuality and my identity and okay. um so came out that she had mono she wasn't okay. pregnant Mm-hmm. Um, which I guess have great 
similarities Ooh. when it comes to pregnancy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, so thank God she only had mono, right? I mean, yeah. I'm sure it sucked for her, but for me, <laughs> the relief so of being off the hook. After, I know right, it. Right. <laughs> and that off the hook was like, I'm done. We need to break up. Like, that was too close of a call for me. Yeah. Um, mind you, throughout this time, there was a very sordid relationship with my mom in the sense that I was always, um, kind of her again therapist when her and my dad would have fallings out and they would have um their blow-ups and the family dynamic would fall apart and the drinking would lead to physical abuse Mm -hmm. um and i now had a place where i could run to right when my mom and i would fight and there was one particular time during this year that um, it was around January or February. It was snowing out. We, I had just gotten my first car. Um, I didn't check in with my mom before I came home. I came home late. So it was one of these whole curfew things. Mm-hmm. And we got into a fight and she took my keys from me and I was without a shirt. I was without shoes and I left the house in the snow yeah. and walked like three miles at 11 o'clock wow. at night to get to my girlfriend's house. Right. So we yeah. had this very, um, this very codependent um, relationship as a couple. And it kind of transferred from my mom's being codependent with me and our Mm. relationship of, I was her therapist, whatever, whatever. Um, So there was a lot of moments like that where my mom would fall apart. She'd unleash on me. It would be very physical, lots of shaking, lots of slapping, lots of, Mm. um, screaming in my face um and then it would turn to this um reconciliation of you're the best thing that's ever happened to me i love you more than anything in the world you're the only man i've ever known in my life i'm so sorry for the way that i treated you like let's go splash some cold water on your face so nobody knows that you were crying um so tear me down to build me up sort of relationship with my mom you know um but my mom was my world. She was everything. I would do whatever she wanted. It was my mom's way or the highway, right? That's right. Um, and being a mama's boy, like, I, I fucking hated my dad. I hated that he was abusing my mom this way. I hated that he brought these other two kids into my life. I wished it could just be me and my mom. If it were just me and my mom, everything would be perfect. And mm-hmm. there were always these promises and empty threats of leaving my dad at these different milestones, or if he does it one more time, that's Mm -hmm. the last draw, I'm leaving him. Um, So relationships were always kind of fucked up in my life, you know? Like I I didn't understand a healthy relationship because I never saw it. Mm -hmm. And um, so I broke up with a girl after the the short-term scare and... um, (laughs) Graduated high school and uh, I, I, again, was just kind of on my own. I didn't really have any friends. Um, most of the kids that I did have as friends all went away to college to mm-hmm. see you or to other states. Um, and I had had this one experience with, with alcohol and drugs, but like I said, it turned out really kind of strange. So I didn't have any real desire to get back to that anytime soon. Right. Okay. And, um, so I graduated and I got a job at Blockbuster Video and it was through a friend's daughter that my mom worked with. Um, and I became quick friends with this girl, Lisa. Um, okay. She was my manager at Blockbuster. And at the same time, I also got a job 
at this place called North Metro Community Services, working with developmentally disabled mm-hmm. adults. Right, know the um, place. So, yeah, I was a community-based trainer, and I was like, wow, what a really neat opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always had this... I always had this feeling that I, I really got off on helping people, right? Because yeah. it was in my wheelhouse, right? My mom had a fucking meltdown, and who helped her out of it? Who well, and, well, and you seem like a you seem like a pretty empathetic person too. So, yeah, and, and that's just an ability natural. that yeah, and so that probably yeah. confused the hell out of you too, having right. that empathy in there, <laughs> trying to figure out well, you know, and then letting it probably turn into sympathy for your mother right. and stuff till you figured that out right yeah it was it was very it, it was a mind fuck you know yeah. a lot of my growing exactly. up years and you know it's hard enough as a teenager right just to come of age and figure yeah. out and to become our own person um so that being said a big part of my understanding about my addictions and my alcoholism are that i never really formulated an identity of my own mm-hmm. um and after high school i found this this quick scene of friends um i was introduced to one guy who was gay in the scene um and i came out i came out as being in a gay man and i Mm -hmm. was just like finally i had arrived i didn't have to hide (laughs) anymore i knew without a doubt based on the um nights that i would spend hiding in the dark, watching American Gladiators, uh, <laughs> you know, what, thinking that I was really just admiring these men because of all the attention that they gave to their physique and to their health and to their fitness. And I saw the attention that these men got from, from men and women based on the way that they looked. So I was, I, I, I blurred the lines between um, adoration and um, lust yeah. for these, these images of men. Um, and during this time, again, as an artist, you know, one of my pastimes was to, I had a He-Man com, uh, coloring book that I would trace <laughs> He-Man and Skeletor and all these figures with tracing paper. But when it came to their their male parts, I would mm-hmm. accentuate them, right? And I would make them as big as I could and they were awkward. And they, um, so I always had this weird <laughs> perversion, right? This weird, like, what the fuck is this? Like, why am I doing this like why is this so attractive for me Mm -hmm. it's not right it's this is why you're getting called names sean let's stop doing this but i and i would hide it under my bed um so i uh came out and this girl lisa was very in love with me she was writing me poems all the time she was putting together little scrapbooks of different um special moments that we had have together Mm -hmm. We spent all of our outside of work time. We spent all of our in work time. Um, it was around that time that my mom kind of outed me and asked, "Are you, you know, why don't you try dating Lisa? She seems like a really nice girl." Uh, no, it's not. It's not like that, mom. Like we're, you know, I come out to Lisa, but I hadn't come out to my mom. Yeah. Um, and so she's she's asked me point blank, "Are you gay?" Mm-hmm. And I said, "Well, what if I am?" And she said, I don't care who you sleep with. I don't care who you choose to love as long as you're happy and you treat mm-hmm. people with respect and dignity and you mm-hmm. make the most out of your life. Right um, on. And I said, yeah, well, I think I'm gay. And I had my arm around my younger sister at the time and she shrieked with terror, right? And pulled away from me and was just disgusted. And I... um 
I felt so proud and ashamed at the same time. You know, yeah. my mom is telling me, I don't care. And my sister's like, what the fuck? <laughs> right. Because mm. now she's old enough to understand. You know, yeah. What you're I'm talking about. 17 going on 18. So she's like 10, 11 years old. Um, and mind you, my sister this whole time was very tomboyish. She's got very mm. short hair. She's kicking the boys' mm. asses in the fucking neighborhood. You know, I tease, <laughs> like, if Sean's ever in a fight, we'll have to call his sister to take care of his light work. Yeah, know? that's so, right. Um, <laughs> she was she was the town or the, the city block bully, right? Oh, that's um, hilarious. And another fun tidbit of, like, us growing up, when I was born, I had all female cousins in mm-hmm. my age group. Um, and lots of women influence. When my sister was born, all the cousins were boys, and she mm-hmm. had a lot of male influence. And I could do so it. So there was this kind of we got teased, you know, like we were born into the wrong bodies at the yeah. wrong time. And um, yeah. so I uh, I came out, and I immediately started exploring what that meant. There were things okay. like gay.com. And there were these magazines that I discovered at this coffee shop called Paris on the Platte in downtown Denver. Oh, I know Paris on the Platte. Uh, <laughs> and at the time, they sold single squares, and mm-hmm. they had this little bookshop. And uh, there were a lot of like beatnikish kind of folks that were very hippie-like and yeah. artistic. And yeah, it was a very open community. Yeah. Absolutely. Boys were with boys. They all smelled like patchouli. They were yeah. smoking cigarettes and. It seemed very hip and cool. And I was like, this is this is where I'm going to find my tribe, right? Yeah. Like out in this little bookstore. They had this uh, little section of um, homoerotic art um, books. And I found this book by Tom Bianchi. And it was of these um, photographies of men naked. And they were with other men. And they were all in these very promiscuous um poses but none of them like had erections none of them were there was no penetration it was just very artistic you know yeah and um so for the first time i saw this um male on male activity that didn't seem shameful it didn't seem dirty it was beautiful and uh i i I felt proud to be a part of this whatever it was community Mm -hmm. if you want to call it yeah um and so i got a little curious about the cigarette smoking and thought well these clove cigarettes smell really good and i was waiting on that (laughs) let's get a clove lisa you know and so we both got our own little clove cigarettes and we sat down with our our coffees and our table and being all so cool and everything and i got halfway through that cigarette and just the room started to spin yeah (laughs) and my stomach started flip-flopping and I thought I was going to pass out and I got sick to my stomach and my mm-hmm. head hit the table. And I was like, we got to go. Yeah. I don't, I don't feel right. I don't know what's going on, but I don't feel right. But it felt good. Yeah. You know what I mean? I was sick to my guts, but I felt like just a sense of out of my body. And, but emotionally um, you felt really good. Yeah. I was just alive, you know? And uh, so I, got home went over went over and the next time we went to the paris on the plot i thought well maybe we'll try something a little more mild and during this time lisa had done research on closed cigarettes and she's like we can't do that and they, they burn really hot and they put blisters on your lungs and mm-hmm. they're really dangerous like little squares and we did our camel cigarettes and that went over pretty well mm-hmm. let's get another camel cigarette mm-hmm. and then it turned into a pack of cigarettes and it was only meant to be smoked when we went to the coffee shop. And then we found Muddy's 
downtown and that yep. was another really cool place and that I was probably saw you there <laughs> <laughs> they banned the clove cigarettes by the way they got rid of those <laughs> by the, yeah by 1990 they were gone oh my god they were so crazy they were they so were. crazy and i could i can still like taste that oh yeah i could taste the clove yeah (laughs) and um and so we would be driving downtown and all of a sudden i started smoking these cigarettes on the way to the coffee shop and she told me what are you doing like this is just for a coffee shop smoking like you know very like don't do that Mm-hmm. and you're going to become addicted and i remember her telling me you're going to become addicted and i told her oh no not me like i i know better than that i've seen what it does mm-hmm. and it leads to other things and i'm not interested in that other stuff well sure shit i went from one cigarette on the way to the one clothes to the mm-hmm. i was smoking a half a pack a day you know and then it was having to buy cigarettes to be at home and hiding it from my mom and, mm-hmm. um met this guy at muddy's and i had seen lots of like people with piercings and that started like turning me on that like okay piercing weird parts of their body like mm-hmm. their, their collarbones and their noses and um a lot of people that were, i found really attractive had eyebrow piercings so i got really curious about trying to pierce my eyebrow and used an ice cube and a sewing needle and i got mm-hmm. the fucker in and i had this little like very, very shallow piercing in yeah. my eyebrow with a little hoop. And I just thought I was the coolest shit. Right? I was like, look at me. I fit in. I found my tribe. Um, and we started, like, that was our that was our regular go-to was Muddy's and Paris on the Platte. And I just felt like it was a time in my life. We were, I had a job. I had my own car. I was out. Um, I didn't have to stay pent up in the house with my mom anymore which of course started this great division in our relationship right she was getting Mm -hmm. very jealous and very worried about all the things that because she led led a sorted life and she knew that i was coming of age and i was going to find this sorted life that she tried to tell me stories about in hopes that it would scare the shit out of me right um and so i met this guy and I was in the bathroom and I remember him standing outside and I turned around. He's like, you look really good standing at a urinal. And I was like, Whoa, like, what is, <laughs> wow. like this dude is like hitting on me and like, okay, let's see what this is about. And um, so I wound up hooking up with this guy and he was um, not the first guy I had hooked up with, but the first guy that was like, so, you know, backtrack a little bit. I, I mentioned gay.com and, um, all these phone numbers that I was finding in these magazines at Muddy's and stuff. And um, you could call these chat lines and talk to other gay dudes and yeah. you could swap phone numbers and swap addresses. And I had a car now. So I had these couple of, uh, you know, um, chance encounters, if you will, with these guys. And, um, but this was the first time that it was like legit, you know, like he like, came on to me and it was out in the open it was nothing seedy or hidden Um, Mm -hmm. and we started hanging out at muddy's and he smoked pot and he was like two or three years younger than me and he had moved here from florida he had sort of a sorted um background similar to mine that okay um around coming out except for his mom didn't appreciate it she didn't accept him okay um so he left home at an early age moved to colorado um, had his own apartment he had a job in uh, vitamin cottage so he was very mm-hmm. like 
again, the hippie kind of vibe. It yep. was very holistic and all about like natural living. And he had really long hair and he was just, he just like floated on air. This dude, like it's just so perfect. Right. And I was falling in love for the first time, like really falling in love. Like, okay. Becky, the girl in high school, I never really, I loved her, but more like I loved my mom or more like I loved a friend, you know? Sure. This is the first time I knew what love felt like. And um, so we started dating and he introduced me to marijuana and it took a couple of tries for me to get it. And we were hanging out at the white spot down on Mm -hmm. Broadway. Um, And we started meeting these more eclectic group of people that were like club kids. And the club kids were all about pot and acid and um, doing ecstasy. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I didn't, really dare partake in that that part of the world yet and um i had found the there was some club on 13th i don't remember the name of it but um the church i went to the i went to this gay club and um the church maybe no no it wasn't there was a there was a different one but anyway go ahead yeah i know anyway yeah it was more underground like yeah go to it was like by it became the snake pit or yeah okay yeah, yep. around there and so um so i had this outfit that i had like torn up a jean shirt i ripped the sleeves off and i tore off the collar and i cut it in half and i was wearing chains for belts and i had these big like crushed blue velvet shoes these nice. sketchers and i was <laughs> wearing makeup and i was gayed out like i was just you know so happy about this person that i had become um and a little bit before i met this guy too i I drove down to Pueblo for one of the holidays in my own car after i'd come out to my mom and of course she outed me to the rest of the family and uh so when i came the first time uh to pueblo for a family holiday everybody already knew that i was gay because my mom had told them um, and I showed up with makeup and knee high boots on and my hair is coiffed and highlighted yep. and my grandma, I remember her telling me, he thought, I don't, uh, you know, like my mom, I don't care who you love. And so my dad's side of the family is Spanish. So I don't mm-hmm. care who you love, he but boys don't wear makeup. Mm-hmm. And I was just so insulted. I was just so taken aback that she didn't care <laughs> who I slept with, but don't wear makeup. And it just seemed like again, I was ashamed of who I was. Right. Mm. So I, um, didn't spend much time around family. I pulled away from my parents a lot and, um, thought that this was my, 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 um, my coming of age, if you will. And that I was really, uh, knew who I was and that I wasn't going to let anybody take that from me. Um, and then it wasn't long after being in the gay community that I started to realize I was still kind of being picked on because I was wearing makeup and I was too effeminate to hang out with like the guys that I was attracted to, but I wasn't, I was too masculine to hang out with like the drag queens and the girls, Mm -hmm. the feminine guys in the group. And I didn't want to be like them, like them. Mm -hmm. Um, so again, I, I was very, um, torn about like how do i fit in like where you know i I kept having these moments of like oh i finally arrived and then it was taken away from me and oh i got these friends and they were taken away from me do you think it was was it the club scene that got you to drinking no i didn't really start drinking until i met this uh, again met the guy from uh muddy's and 
um, we would spend the night, I'd spend the night with him at his house and they would drink, they mostly drink wine. Um, and I remember the, the carpet was just stained with red wine stains and cigarette burns. Um, so now I'm chain smoking all the time Uh and I'm learning to smoke pot and this guy's drinking and we're in a relationship for about eight months. And he tells me that he's moving back to Florida and, um, I'm still living with my mom in the suburbs. He was living downtown, um, in Capitol Hill. And I just, I love downtown Denver. I just love the whole scene. Like, uh-huh. um, Cap was very dominantly gay. Yep. Um, there was a lot of openness. It was mm-hmm. just the, my place where I wanted to be. And, um, so he told me he was leaving and I remember like laying on the floor. Cause you know, I spent a lot of time laying on the floor with my mom. Right. And mm-hmm. So, uh, laying on the floor and drawing and him telling me that he was moving to Florida. And I just like my heart sank. Um, yeah. Cause I was in love, you know, I was in love. I finally, like, this was going to be, this was, this was supposed to be my, my, um, catalyst to getting out of this home with my mom and my stepdad and my siblings that I didn't want anything to do with. And, mm-hmm. um, and now he was leaving and uh you know i kind of fallen out of touch with lisa after meeting this guy because uh i spent all my time with him and she was yeah. super jealous like she okay. was just thinking if she did the right thing maybe i wasn't really gay and you know, oh, she okay right she was in denial and, oh boy <laughs> yeah yeah very much so um so i uh told my mom that he was moving and that I was going to do whatever it took to move out there with him. So he got out to Florida. He got settled. His parents, mom was okay with me moving out there. It didn't really have any money. Um, I didn't have any belongings. Long story longer. I finally moved out to Florida to live with him and his mom and his stepdad. Wow. And, uh, they lived in a trailer in, um, um dade county florida um, okay fort lauderdale area so in this time we drank a lot we moved around a lot we went from his mom's house and we found a a place out on the beach and it was this little shithole with palmetto bugs all over the place Mm -hmm. and um the first like couple days we were there we're cleaning it up and i went to clean in the closet and above the doors I found this baggie full of weed and I was like score like, this is, you know what I mean yeah it was like this is meant to be this is our place like they left us this bag of weed as a welcoming and um so now I'm full into like I, I don't see it as a problem I just see it as like this is what people my age do everybody mm-hmm. drinks everybody smokes pie it's the cool thing um and it's certainly cooler than hanging out with my fucking mom all the time and not having any <laughs> friends and you know, I was responsible, whatever yeah. that meant. I had a job and I had this home or this apartment with my boyfriend and I had a boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we started getting to the point where my drinking, I noticed, was ending up the way that it did with my parents. Um, mm. I was getting jealous over the people that were around and how come Martin wasn't paying attention to me and he was talking to this other boy or he had mm-hmm. this girlfriend that he spent more time with and um i would get into these like uh, these fits of anger when i would drink and i would like smack my head against the wall or i would um i would would cause like self-harm you know yeah you would start beating yourself up just like your parents did exactly like this feels good this is what happens it's normal to you right and um 
so he didn't of course know what to do with that and um he would he'd start leaving the house right so now it's very reminiscent of my dad mm-hmm. getting kicked out and leaving the house and now here i am by myself with this bottle of wine and number one time in particular i drank a big with those big round like don julio bottles of wine that was like a ball with a little head on the top and I yeah they were a party bottle. party balls i remember those yeah. the quarter party balls and stuff yeah and then i threw it up all over the place yeah that <laughs> wine was horrible <laughs> oh my god yeah, it was worse than wine you know, in a box it was terrible it was so terrible and um but at that point i didn't care you know because I, I just wanted to numb the pain i just wanted to i wanted to black out i knew that if i could drink enough it would be like that first party in the field in high school where i didn't remember what the fuck happened last night and i wouldn't Mm -hmm. have to worry about if it hurt or if it felt good like i was moving on and um so of course he would take me back and now we have this great big two-story beautiful apartment in uh, wilton manor okay it was kind of like the capitol hill in fort lauderdale all right um so it was very artistic and very gay influenced um and we had lots of plants and we had lots of cool furniture hand-me-downs and lots of wicker. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were both working for this place called Donegan's Nutrition. So now I had found this belonging of like what I wanted to do. And mm-hmm. I thought this is a really great catalyst to like helping people find a healthier alternative to living. Um, and I was turned on by it. And I was turned on by the the kind of people that it infused. I was turned on by the way that... Um, the store smelled, you know, the mm-hmm. herbs and the oils and the, and it just felt natural. It reminded me of Muddy's, right? Of Paris on the Platte, yep. the smell and that feel and that vibe. And um, we decided that we weren't really happy living in Florida. It was expensive. We mm-hmm. um, didn't really feel like we had any sort of scene when it came to like socializing or um, groups of friends or anything. Yeah. And so uh, we made the decision to move back to Denver and um, we moved back in with my mom and we had along those lines before we moved adopted a greyhound from a rescue and her name was China and um, we brought her home with us. So now it's me and this guy and this dog living with my mom in her basement and uh it went okay for a little while and then we started getting rocky and Martin was realizing that he wanted to live his life and he didn't want to be in this relationship anymore and we were breaking up but he was still living with me in my mom's house and that was kind of an awkward time so oh, yeah. I started partying more with um, other gay dudes and other gay people and uh, started smoking pot more and started mm-hmm. drinking more and rekindled a relationship with Lisa. And now she was very excited to have me back in her life. And we could go to the clubs together. Um, and she was a little bit older. So she was old enough to buy alcohol. And we would drink, you know, a handle or a bottle of whatever in mm-hmm. the parking lot before we go into the club. And just dance our asses off and have such a good time. And I would um, hook up with lots of guys randomly in the bathroom or... Um, so I was starting to develop this very promiscuous lifestyle and okay. um, finding these um, empty, sorted, ended relationships with strange men. Mm-hmm. Um, and it became this familiar way for me to feel wanted and to feel like I was needed and to feel important, right? And um, started making friends with 
boys in the scene and we would uh, there was this one guy in particular named Courtney and he was from Boulder and he was again very like holistic and witchy and he was all into like tarot cards and um, meditation and yoga and this whole thing that just seemed really attractive to me and it seemed very gay to me and uh, so we became really fast friends and he was very effeminate but he owned it and he was just beautiful and androgynous and um I wanted to be just like him. I like, this was, you know, for the first time I had something that I looked up to that I wanted to be like. Um, and uh, I moved around with him a little bit. We would make these acquaintances at the bars and hook up with them and go back to their house. And so everybody apologize about that. The uh, host needed a bathroom break. <laughs> so we're going to, we're going to move on. That's what happens when you get a little bit older. So, um, you tend uh, you can't go for <laughs> all that long. So, John, and I hated to interrupt you because we were getting getting to it, but um, so we we're doing a lot of partying, and it looked like things were progressing in your drinking. They were getting to the point where I was uh, kind of sloppy and getting escorted out of bars. Um, okay, and. It was sort of the normal thing for me to do, to drink um, and to have a good time. Ran into some friends from high school at one of these bars and exchanged numbers. Um, and it was a lesbian girl that um, was a year or two younger than me. And okay. we had shared some time in choir. Um, and so I started hanging out with her and she introduced me to meth. Ooh. And um, she had a friend, again, Courtney, from Boulder was still a part of the scene and okay. he was partying with us and he tried to warn me like don't do that it's the devil's dandruff it's the mm -hmm. most horrible drug you could ever do he's shared with me that he spent a few years addicted to the drug in California and had gotten off of it it was really hard for him to get off the drug but mm -hmm. um his birthday kind of rolled around in May and I told him that I was going to try this drug and he was like well I'll pay for it you know so his addiction kicked back in without yeah. a heartbeat, right? He mm -hmm. went from warning me about it to writing a check to the drug dealer. For his and, well, know, it's is, his birthday, right? It was his birthday right. present, it's a time to celebrate. Yep. Absolutely. So we went to tracks and we they gave him a bottle of champagne for his birthday and we were high and we were just having the time of our lives. We were young and we were cute and we were getting lots of attention. Mm -hmm. Um and he had a bottle of champagne. So we were real popular in the club. Mm -hmm. um, and that night we uh, left the club. He found somebody to bring home with them. I was living in Capitol Hill with some friends. Okay. And um, he brought this guy home. They started kind of being inappropriate in the car. We got into an argument, stopped the car in the intersection in front of our apartment building, luckily. But um to the point where the cops were called. We mm -hmm. had a meth pipe in the car and uh -oh. sitting in the console of my blazer at the time. Mm -hmm. And um, so I uh, played it off. I, you know, told the cops out there, they kind of assessed the situation. Our roommates came out. Um, the cop found the meth pipe yep. and took it out of the car and threw it on the, he asked me, what is this? And I said, I don't know. My friend brought this guy along. I, 
try to blame them for it. They're mm-hmm. acting kind of bizarre. Their behavior is really erratic. And I don't know who this guy and he said, well, do me a favor. Go ahead and pick that pipe up and drop it on the oh, ground. So mm-hmm. I took it out of the car, dropped it on the ground. I smashed it up like he told me to. And he told my friend and his friend to take off. So we got away with it, right? Yeah, like, you got I lucky, man. With a, a meth pipe and like my first time doing the drug. If I yeah. wasn't warning enough not to do it again. Wow. But I did. I, yeah, that off. didn't I stop you. first taste. Well, oh, you got uh, away was... with it. Absolutely. I, th- I think if good. the cop would have charged you with it, you might have turned into something different. Different. But the fact that he let you go, he thought he was doing you a favor. You know, right. and God bless his heart, man. He was just trying to help. Right. And, and, you know, I kind of learned to be very manipulative with my crying and my hysterics. Okay. You know, I learned this from my mom. So sure. I, 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 I cried my way out of a lot of really possibly fucked up situations. Okay. Um, so I'm learning, I've learned already to manipulate people, right. Sure. Which becomes a very big prominent part of, I think most people's drug stories or mm-hmm. drinking stories um and so i uh get the taste for meth and before i know it i'm seeking it out on a regular basis um i'm going to bathhouses. i'm hooking up with guys in the park um and we're going to these parties. I, I meet this guy and he's kind of the A group of the gay scene. And okay. they all do meth, but they've got really nice cars and they're, they've got money and okay. they get to the front of the line at the clubs. And uh, I'm fucking the shit now, you know? Yeah. I mean, it just so happens that meth is a part of that. And mm-hmm. it's only like, we're only snorting it. It's only snorting yeah. it, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> so we were like crackheads or anything yeah um it was classy you know and so then i we're classy we're classy classy people yeah Yeah. (laughs) and um and that was part of what kept me in my pre-contemplation in addressing my issues with drugs and alcohol was that i felt again different than everybody else right and now Mm -hmm. this difference was kind of a, a a badge of honor that like not only was i different but i had this cocky attitude that i was better yep. than other people because of the people i was hanging out with and the way i was doing drugs and um that turned into another party out in the the fields somewhere with a bunch of um gay people and lots of drugs and candy flipping became a big thing for me and okay. it was this like it was this, um, look how awesome I am. Like I can do meth and then I can take a hit of acid and then I can candy flip on some ecstasy and then mm-hmm. I can do a bump of Coke and I can be drinking the whole time. And I was just like, I felt like large and in charge because I could do all these drugs and they mm-hmm. weren't affecting me, right? Like yeah. I was I was different. Um, <laughs> and so it fueled my desire to do drugs and yeah. i got this attitude that it wasn't me that had a problem it was other people around me who had mm-hmm. a problem like if they just let me do my thing and let me be who i wanted to be things would be fine. be fine this was the lifestyle i chose and who was anybody to tell me it was wrong and um i started um going through jobs like toilet paper i couldn't keep a job for more than a month i started mm-hmm. taking money from people yep. um and their safes you know i had a lot of management opportunities mm-hmm. um i excelled very quickly again when i would apply myself i was a sure. really good student and employee 
Um, and so many opportunities that now I look back on and realize that I just pissed away because mm-hmm. I was so, I, it didn't matter if anybody loved me or not. Cause I had drugs, I had yeah. meth and I felt like I was on top of the world all the time. And, um, I started finding myself, uh, getting into things like hot rails and shooting up and um and these are all happening in the bathhouse and then Uh i started developing um MRSA sores and was getting all these infections in my body um and i i had to kind of uh so i left uh i i met this guy in these in in the interim of this heyday and he was kind of a homeless kid and he was from a uh out of the system growing up he was like in foster homes and stuff and uh i started hooking up with him and he wasn't really into drugs but he was a drinker and he liked pot and he had a lot of johns that would give us anything that we wanted money and Mm. you know pot and drugs and um so I started hanging out with him. That was really sorted. We got into a domestic altercation and the cops were called. And for the first time I went to jail, Yep. I spent three days in jail. Um, I got out of jail and I was broken. I felt like mm-hmm. I, I was lost. I was living back with my mom again. Um, I didn't have a job and I had these friends that I was living with when I got the um, caught with meth for the first time. They had moved back to Florida. Okay. And so they told me, come on out, you know, get on your feet. Like, you don't you just get away from that scene and those people and you can stay with this for as long as you want until you're okay. back on your feet. And, um, so I'm sorry, not Florida. They moved to San Francisco. And so okay. I moved out to California with them. I was pretty cleaned up for most of the time. Right on. Um, marijuana was a big thing in the household there were big potheads deadheads yeah it's california dead and yeah. yeah it was a lot san of francisco cool. california it's gonna be a Berkeley lot of pot <laughs> and, yeah and uh so i mellowed out a little bit you know okay I felt like i i uh i was happy like working and i started working in floral jobs and uh doing floral design and working at uh the, the warehouse doing deliveries in the san francisco bay area and um but we were in Hayward, which is like outside of San Francisco across the Bay. And so I would go into the city on my own and do these little adventures. And I found this ad for um, amateur porn mm-hmm. and I answered the ad and these guys like cooked me up. I started doing these little gigs on the side and making money. And my roommates had no idea what I was doing. Okay. Um, with these guys, I started hooking up with, um, from the shoots, they were very heavy into meth and drugs. Yeah. And um, so I was finding myself, you know, again, I felt like I had arrived again, right? Yeah. Like I, I found my calling. I was going to be a porn star. I finally found like my entertainment niche. And yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I went from feeling like nothing to feeling like I was so desirable and amazing. And um, that didn't last for very long. The um, roommates I was with didn't like San Francisco. They said they were leaving so I could stay with the people that I was friends with in California. I could go back home with my mom in Colorado or I could move back with them to Florida. Okay. And I was like, well, I'm going to stay here. The people that I was doing porn with told me I could couch surf on their couch and live with them until i got on my feet and they'd help mm-hmm. me find a job and whatever whatever and 
so I stayed with them for a little while and um, I uh, couldn't find a job and I kept doing drugs more and more. Mm-hmm. I met up with this guy that lived in the Castro and he was really just, his aesthetic was so amazing. And he was like these American gladiators that I grew up ah. secretly attracted to. Right. Um, and he had money. He was in like the therapist field and was a, a counselor. And mm-hmm. um, I, I fell in love again. And but it was all under the interim of, of using meth and drinking lots of wine and um, unprotected sex. Mm-hmm. And after one of our weekends together, he brought me back to his house and told me we needed to have a conversation and disclosed to me that he was HIV positive. Oh, and, shit. Uh, you know, he's like, I, I know that we did some un, some unsafe stuff. And if you feel like you need someone to go with you, I'll go with you to get tested. And I, you know, I, I, I told him, I don't care if I have it, I have it. Like, I, I love you. And I really am enjoying our time together. And okay. I know that you didn't tell me because you felt ashamed and broken. And again, it was more about me now. How can I take care of you? Right. How can uh-huh. I nurture you? How can I be what you've been? Exactly. Yeah. And, um, and that didn't go over very well. He was like, no, like you're missing the point. This is yeah. supposed to like chase you away. And now you're more attached. Um, so it wasn't long after, maybe a week or two after that, I called my mom and I told her I needed to come home. Like this wasn't working out. Okay. Um, I, I was scared. I started feeling sick. Um, um, they call it seroconverting or something like that when yeah you're the the virus like takes hold of your body your system and starts to um infect you okay and so i started i was very sick they uh people that i was living with doing porn sent me to the um, free clinic and i went and got checked out and i didn't have an aids test at the time but i had some tests for like gonorrhea because i had a lot of like thrush issues like a lot okay. of throat and mouth issues that were keeping me sick and um came back to Colorado on the way I took the Amtrak to get back. And on the way here, I uh, had this horrible toothache. And um, I remember falling asleep of putting a lot of pressure on my face and uh-huh. home. It was like draining. And I had all this like yeah. horrible jaw pain mm-hmm. and my body felt horrible. Like it's, I just felt really different in my body. Um, and I shared these things with my mom. So she told me I needed to go get a test and get an HIV test. And so yes. I went to the clinic and I got tested and, um, was living back at home. Things were going okay. I wasn't using any drugs. I wasn't, mm-hmm. um, really like, I didn't really have any friends again. I was slowly introducing Lisa back into my life. And, um, so I, got a job working at Whole Foods as a floral designer in the floral department and okay. um, started kind of getting back out into the scene. Um, of course, that led me back to finding drugs again and going uh-huh. back to the bathhouses. And now I'm getting my results back from the HIV test. And my mom took me to Denver Health to get the results. Um, and she sat out in the waiting room while I went into the room, the the doctor's office and immediately saw the paper hanging that said HIV or Caucasian male under 30 HIV positive. And I, it was like a sentence. It's like this, this just like, I got to do whatever it fucking takes to survive. And yeah. I'm going to get through this by myself. I can't give this to my mom cause she'll fall apart. Like this will ruin her. Um, it felt like this great 
doom of shame. And uh, so I went out into the waiting room after about a 45 minute appointment and I told her everything was fine. Like the test results were negative. They gave mm. me some input as to like how to live a healthier lifestyle, some um, groups that I could get involved with for drug issues. And, um, but that I was fine. I didn't have it. And okay. I went back to her house and I had been up, mind you, at this point for about three days on mm -hmm. a, a meth bender. And um, so I, I played it off really well, you know, and uh, it took about I, I reunited with the uh, Martin, the guy that I fell in love with, that moved back to Florida and um, broke up with me when we moved back to Denver and mm -hmm. um, told him what was going on. He was heartbroken to find out that I was using meth. Uh, yeah. I was more heartbroken to find out that I was HIV positive and immediately because of my disparaging state of, of being told me that he was going away to Florida again. When he got back, we would get back together and we were going to have given another shot at a relationship. Um, and that never happened. He left, he came back. We never, I never heard from him again. Mm -hmm. um, and I was living with this dirty secret. So I finally told my mom about two or three months later. Um, and she of course was devastated. Um, my whole family was supportive and tried to do their best to be there for me. Um, and, but the whole time I was still getting high and I still going to the bathhouses. And now I was having unprotected sex, knowing that I was HIV positive with other men yeah. and feeling like, um, I, I, I just had this chip on my shoulder, you know, like, uh -huh. well, if they're going to have sex with me and not ask if I'm positive, then it's their fault. If it, you know, just Ooh, uh, very corrupted fucking thinking and yeah. I became this person that I never fathomed I would be. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I fast forward a little bit. That gets a little redundant in the use. I uh, found sobriety. Um, I started going to, meetings like kicking tina i okay. met rod uh and became a part of his mile high meth project and started working on that. fantastic man it's um, a great project it was it was really good and it really helped me to find um some some peace for a little while you know yeah um i wasn't drinking and i wasn't using meth for that year but i was still on the marijuana maintenance program okay um I was chain smoking. I was drinking lots of coffee. I was working <laughs> as a. Uh, you weren't on meth though, and I just yeah. Oh, did you? Okay, that that yeah, I get. The, that I understand. The coffee and the cigarettes. Cigarettes, everything so else. Yeah. Yeah, and um, so I uh, was working at Einstein's as a baker, and I was going in at like two o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. I had my own apartment for the first time. I had had a couple of the boyfriends that had some issues with the drugs over and broke up. And mm. um, so I got about a year of sobriety. I had moved to a place where everybody in the house that I was living in were sober. My wow. sponsor lived downstairs and he was the guy that like collected the rent in the house. Mm -hmm. um, so you were in a sober living home or you just it, lived it in a home where people were sober? Where people were sober. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It was like this little. Which funny, works just as well. It does. It, it could be great. a very good situation. Yeah. It was. And it was until it wasn't right. And um, life happens. Uh, I uh, had a relapse on meth about two weeks before my year. Okay. Um, and I still went and I got my chip and I played it off. I couldn't imagine like people knowing that I had relapsed. That mm -hmm. it was, 
I had gained this community of support around me. Um, I had this fellowship. I had time. I had um, some clarity. I was doing pretty good financially. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt like I had my shit together, though. Yeah. Um, and had this relapse, and, and I hid it, and I lied about it. And it wasn't until about a month later, I ran into another dude at a meeting, and we mm-hmm. started drinking together. And I told my sponsor that I never really had an issue with drinking. Meth was my problem. I just wanted to stop yeah. using drugs. I get that know? all the time. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I was going to explore this. And yeah. you know, his response was, well, good luck. Let me know how that works out for yeah. you. You know? I'll be here when you get back. <laughs> right. Enjoy your misery. Here you go. Refunded. <laughs> and, uh, and I did, I was, uh, I was off to the races from that. Mm-hmm. I, um, broke up with the guy that I went back out with and started using meth again very quickly. Mm-hmm. Didn't take long. Moved a friend into the house that a apartment became vacant in and he was using meth. And so now this home that has started out with a lot of mm-hmm. people, slowly the people that were moving in were all using drugs i made friends with a guy that lived in the back and his thing was drinking mm-hmm. um and he started boarding up the windows and the walls and uh, oh. going crazy in his little yeah, studio the paranoia and it just became it flipped you know everything yeah. flipped and it got turned upside down and um so i told i i was with this friend at the bar and i met my current husband now that i'm with that 11 years in november i'll be with him wow um met him at a bar and i was kind of coming down off of meth and i didn't want to be there but i had a car so i drove my friend and he kind of approached me him and a friend of his approached me um his name is michael and um he asked if we could exchange phone numbers oh yeah sure whatever so i exchanged numbers with them and there was just something about him that like sparked this new like hope in me okay Um, again i don't know if it was just that somebody was giving me attention and that was unusual because it Mm. wasn't around yeah i understand that yeah or wanting uh, or you know expecting something from me i always got that feeling if you're talking to me you want something and now that you found a person that didn't have any expectations but you know they didn't want anything from you just the phone number you know Right. And it was really cute. Like he had his friend do it, you know, like, Hey, my friend thinks you're kind of cute. He wants yeah. magic. Well, who's your friend, you know? So we had this short meeting and uh, we kind of text for a few days. We ran into each other at King Supers about a week later. And again, mm-hmm. I was high on meth and I was with the friend that was living in the house and Michael and his friend saw us and his friend kind of made this comment like, Oh, what a hot mess, you know? And, I was just so ashamed. Um, mm-hmm. Michael texted me right away. He was like, I'm so sorry about that. He, you know, he's jealous that I have this, this interest in somebody else. And um, so I stopped texting Michael. I, I told myself, mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to start another relationship with all these lies and all this secrecy and all this mm-hmm. like, shame. And I'm going to give myself 30 days to get clean. If I can yeah. stop using for 30 days, then I'll give this dude a call again. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just started ignoring him. And I got clean and I got 30 days and I called this guy up and I was like, Hey, this is Sean. I don't know if you remember me. And he's like, wow, I'm at the cricket store getting ready to change my number. Like I had written you off and thought that mm-hmm. I'd never hear from you again. So fast things started happening, right? We hit yeah. it off. We were falling in love. Um, but he didn't really have any uh, issues with drugs and alcohol. He drank and he smoked pot and whatever, but mm. it wasn't 
a habit. It wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't to excess. (laughs) Right. And uh, so I was like, well, cool. This is someone I can learn how to do these adult things with like an adult. And um, long story even longer. Again, we for the first like nine years drank and it started getting to the point where the drinking ended up the way that my parents did it would become violent at the end Mm -hmm. um there was a lot of jealousy in our relationship and it was me becoming my stepfather like i was beginning beginning to be physically abusive um but it was always because i was trying to get him to stop hurting himself um, I was trying to get him to stop acting irrationally. I was trying, right? So I, 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 I guised it under this excuse that I was protecting him from himself. Mm-hmm. Um, cops were being called into our apartment. I was kind of a, um, a crazy drunk in the sense that I would break shit. I would, mm-hmm. you know, flip the chair and the couches over, uh, rip the Christmas tree down, pull things out of the walls. Um, and this went on back and forth and we would make up and um, promise never to do it again. And we'd be cool for a couple of weeks and we'd start drinking and it would get crazy and ugly again. Um, so then I got to the point where I was getting in trouble at work about my drinking. I was getting called out for being drunk on the job. Mm-hmm. I was drinking and driving all of the time. Um, I inherited these grandnieces from my husband's side of the family and um, never really paying attention to the fact that we would take them for the weekend and we'd do all these outings and I'd be driving drunk with them. Mm -hmm. Um, Most of the time that they were at our house, I was what I thought hiding the booze while we were entertaining them at our house for the weekend. Um, I had gone to school again for the personal training and gotten that certification. Um, and I knew that I, I, I needed to probably get back to AA. I knew mm-hmm. that this wasn't working out for me. I knew that. Yeah. There's always, there's always that switch and that's what I'm kind of waiting on here. So what happened that made you decide you didn't want to do this anymore? What happened was getting sent home from work. Um, because I was drunk on the job okay. and that was like, that was the pinnacle, right. Of becoming all the things I would never be. That okay. signified I had a drinking problem. Now I have a wow. drinking problem. Yeah. Um, and so I came home and of course I was resentful. And the first thing I did was go to the liquor store and I got okay. booze. And sure. Those I didn't tell my husband about it. But yeah. Okay. How dare you send me home? I'm doing yeah. a good job. You just promoted me. Uh, you yeah, just me don't you know who I am? <laughs> <laughs> And, um, so I, uh, I kept drinking and I could not, like, I got, I had gotten to the point where I couldn't make eye contact with people. I couldn't get through a whole sentence without stuttering or losing my train of thought. Sure. I was shaking all the time. Um, I was sweating profusely all the time. I couldn't Mm -hmm. sleep at night. I was sleeping on the floor because it was the only thing comfortable for me. Um, and got sent home from work and I mm-hmm. couldn't go back. I, I tried a couple of days. I told him straighten up, you know, we'll forgive it. We'll give you a write up, but we'll forgive it. So long as you straighten up. Cool. And um, I couldn't straighten up. I kept yeah. going back and I, I would uh, make it through the day and tell myself, I'm not drinking today. I'm not going to drink today. This is important. You're going to fucking lose everything. 
Um, and as soon as I get off work, I would go over to the liquor store and I get right back on the wagon or back off the wagon. And um, I uh, got to the point where I walked out on the job. I told them I didn't want to work there anymore. I had other opportunities. It was really just that I was so ashamed that I couldn't like mm -hmm. show my face in this place of business anymore. And um, so I quit my job and Michael was getting to be concerned. Um, you know, it wasn't so much about my anger. Now I was kind of suicidal and like talking about, I just didn't want to live. And um I was been working with my HIV doctor and was very transparent about my usage and where I was in my okay. um, drinking and my drugs. And so he was, again, started suggesting, suggesting that I get back to AA yeah. um, and told me if he, if I needed, he could help me with some detoxing kind okay. of asked if I wanted in treatment or out treatment. I didn't want to go to in treatment. So he told me he would help me with, prescriptions to help okay. get off of, to, with the cravings and the withdrawals. And um, so I did that. And that was on New Year's of 2017. Um, I decided I was going to detox. I was done drinking. I couldn't live like this anymore. I couldn't be losing jobs. Like I, I knew that there was no going forward if I continued the way it was and yeah. decided to detox. And I made it till about 11 o'clock on New Year's Eve, 2017 into 18 before I was just in so much physical pain that I could not bear it anymore and asked Michael to take me to the ER. Okay. Um, so I went through detox and that mm -hmm. was a very horrifying moment. All of my family and friends came to see me in the hospital. Oh man. Uh, I spent like three days. So now the jig goes up right now. Everybody yeah. knew that I had a problem. Sure. Um, and so I did real good for a little while. I got out of the hospital. I had about five months um, before I relapsed again. And in this time, I had um, started going to meetings, but then I got a job at King Supers and I was working overnights. So my schedule was like opposite of everybody else's. I was sleeping during the day and working during the night. Um, and I got you know, you hear it. I got out of the program. I stopped keeping in touch. I didn't go to meetings. I didn't have a sponsor. I um, got bored. I was getting these shots from my doctor to help with cravings um, mm -hmm. and getting liver panels. And um, so I had an opportunity to drink and I took it. And I, it was only because I was bored and I didn't have anybody watching me and I didn't have anybody to answer to. And I was doing good. Yeah. I beat this thing, you know, I could learn to drink again. And um, so I was hiding it from Michael, of course, right away. I was um, back under the bed with the bottle. And on August 10th, I was at work. I had um, gotten found out by Michael, found out that I was drinking again. Um, we had a discussion about it. Okay, we're going to get through this. I went to work and got a phone call. Uh, about an hour after I was at work, I ignored it. I came home from my break and Michael was in the door to tell me that my sister needed to talk to me. So I okay. called my sister and she told me that um, my brother had hung himself in his bedroom. Mm -hmm. He also was fighting with alcohol, uh, had some real bad times with alcohol. He had okay. a lot of uh, liver function issues. So um, you know, in the background, he was having his own alcoholism issues. Mm -hmm. And uh, so found out my brother killed himself. Uh, well, 
the bottle came out from under the bed and I went right back to drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and that lasted from August 10th until August 30th. I drank, I convinced my husband that what I really needed to like, just get this out of my system. I needed to like, just go away. And I wanted to get high one last time. Um, I wound up convincing him to let me go hook up with somebody who I knew I could get meth from. Um, and, you know, at this point, the guy that I was getting high with was like, well, not if you've been drinking, because I, I can't stand. Don't come and hang out with me if, if that's the case. And um, so anyway, I, I I hooked up with this guy. I spent two days with him and um, I came home and had the biggest falling out. I, I, I hit, locked myself in the bedroom for the night. It was into my birthday on August 31st. And um, Michael sat out diligently on the other side of the door waiting for me, um, had flowers and a cake for me for my birthday. It was just this very like telenovela shit show, right? <laughs> and okay. um, are you there? Yeah. Yeah, I think we might be having some technical difficulties. If you guys could hold on for a second. Can you hear me okay, Sean? Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. We're good. My, my ear All right. So, so, long story, I uh, told him that uh, if I ever checked out again, he would have to check me in. Okay. And um, I got back to AA. I started going to York Street. Uh, cool. I found a sponsor. I went through a couple of sponsors in the beginning. Um, but I knew that my story at this time had to include withdrawing from all mind altering substances yep. or it wasn't going to work for me. Okay. So I included nicotine in this uh-huh. um, round of not smoking. Okay. I was at the point where now I've lost a lot of teeth from all the drug abuse, mm-hmm. and, uh, smoking. And the last day I smoked was, um, October 1st on the way to a dentist appointment to get one of my last teeth pulled out and told myself this was going to, after this, I'm setting my sobriety date, which became October 2nd. Um, and Word I just on. wanted to do it all at once. You know, I wanted to Good do it for all you. <laughs> I quit drugs and alcohol and try quit smoking later. And, uh, I, I've since COVID had the opportunity to really gather a relationship with a higher power that I had never had before. Wow. Um, a sense of spirituality that I had never understood before. Um, I've had the opportunity now to work with um, the PCA group and start gaining some footing and giving back this thing that I call sobriety to other mm-hmm. alcoholics. Um, and that's really where the magic has happened for me is in giving back what I've received in sobriety. Um, and now that is my, my, I feel like my calling, right? Like that's yeah. my direction. I've really, for the first time, again, found my tribe and it's amongst the people in sobriety and the fellowship it is, huh? of recovery. And um, two years now, and it's been um, the greatest two years of, of life and it's what I've been searching for mm-hmm. in all these relationships and all these mind altering substances and all these places to live. Um, and, and I now with this training, I'm starting to find out that there are other pathways to recovery besides. No, isn't it? It's pretty cool, huh? Yeah. That's tra- That amazing. training's phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really excited to find out where this takes me and how mm-hmm. I can be just of service to the community 
as a whole, you know. Um, I know that I am going to just thrive in this opportunity of recovery. And it really has come from being completely transparent and 100% honest. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I, I can't hide shit anymore. And um, as we've discovered in this interview, sometimes <laughs> that becomes a little bit too uh, forthright. And I, I have too much to share sometimes, but it's really been what has saved my life. Sobriety has saved my life. And um, I'm so grateful to have the chance to learn to tell my story, you know? So thank you mm -hmm. for giving me this opportunity to, to, to see where I, I, I still have to grow and um, all the opportunities ahead of me. Huh. Well, you know, and because I went through PCA too, and I knew that there were other, there are other paths to recovery, but you know, whether you're AA, whether you're going to go recover simply, you know, just depending on what you're going to do, you're still, you're still going to do the work, but really, I think you hit it. Recovery is about community. Right. We, we were given something um, for free to save our lives. Right. So when we sober up and we start feeling those feelings and we get healthy relationships and we have a relationship with God and, and a fellowship around us, we discovered that we have the power to change community. Right. By being transparent which is what you're talking about. Yeah. And, and really being that catalyst of what I searched for for so long, because I know if I've gotten to this point of life feeling alone, that's probably a commonality amongst a lot of the people who are looking for what I have to offer them now. So absolutely. And, yeah. you know, yeah. you know, and we always, you know, <laughs> whether, whether you like boys or girls, we're always going to utilize whatever sex it is to fulfill or the the gap in our lives, right? And we and we utilize those, you know, we utilize other people to try and do that for ourselves. And that doesn't that doesn't have anything to do with sexual orientation. That has to do with not being a very nice person, right? Oh. And I and I got into being a very not nice person, and I think that's what scared me the most. Is that yeah, I, I didn't just become the person that I I didn't become my stepfather. I transcended right okay I became a stepfather times 10 like yeah. my dad was bad yeah well, that shit show right here was the yeah little, you know so and i yeah, think we get a much softer side of life for sure and, and, and i think you know when as we get to a point even in recovery i remember when i decided that i wasn't going to call myself an asshole anymore and i just yeah. wasn't and i just wasn't one anymore right. and people stopped calling me that now they're like you're an asshole I, I, because I've never, <laughs> they've never seen that side of me. So I'm going to say, I'm right. grateful that I never met that side of you and that yeah. I, and that I got to meet the actual Sean, the real Sean. Absolutely. Absolutely. That wasn't, I did, you know, and it, that's, what's so cool is it's like, you know, you know, people talk to us. They're like, I just don't see how you could have ever been that way. Yeah. And for us, that's true progress. Absolutely. That's true. That's really true progress. So, so good on you, man. Uh, you know, very good job today, Sean. I appreciate um I appreciate you being so candid. You're a fantastic storyteller. Um, <laughs> yeah, you should think about being a storyteller. Um because yeah. you're really good at at uh you know, at bringing the smells and the sounds and 
I can tell that you're very, very artistic and, and yeah. that you have a lot to get back in the community. So I'm glad to hear that you're on the recovery coach portion. Yeah. It's just the beginning, you know, and I, 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 I'm starting to understand and through sobriety that, you know, I'm not a bad person trying to get be, be better. I'm a mm -hmm. sick person trying to get well. Mm -hmm. And that has really helped me to fight that self shame and stigma. And mm -hmm. like you said, calling myself not bad names and um, just that, you know, that negative Nancy attitude like, yeah. doesn't serve me. And it certainly isn't going to yeah. serve anybody else. I mean, how can I expect everybody else to treat me like I want them to when I'm not doing, when I'm, when myself, I'm not yeah. treating myself very well. Huh. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that's what happens. We get into the program, we figure out, Hey, I, you know, Maybe I should be a little bit nicer to myself. You know, maybe, maybe I'm not the person that I thought I was and we can change. People can change. Yeah. You know what yeah, that's going to sure. look like. Who knows, man? We don't until you decide enough is enough. Your bottom could be anywhere from, you know, passages, Malibu to, you know, living on Skid Row. Skid Row, yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah sure. that's that's where I went. That's what I decided. And yeah. my thing was, was, you know, I'm not a drunk until I live under a bridge. Right. Then I'm under a bridge <laughs> and I go, no, I meant that bridge over there. Right, right, you know, right. It's right. All, there's, there's always, always more. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but thank you for coming on today, taking your time with us. Um, yeah, sure. And when you're finished with your classes, let me know and um, I'll get you started on the road of, uh, of recovery coaching. Uh, thank you everyone for, for being here today. Um, what a fantastic story. You know, That's it doesn't fantastic. matter where we come from. Um, we all have a story that can help other people. Um, and being able to share that story takes the power and the negativity and the shame away because now we get to own it. And everybody right. else gets to own it with us. That's pretty fucking exciting stuff, man. That's 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 miracle level stuff right there. Yeah. Um, so yeah. thank you again, everybody, for listening. This has been Raw Recovery with Dion Miller. I love you all. Peace out and have a day. <laughs>